This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. From high atop Fox News headquarters in New York City, always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Brian Kilmeade back with you. Thanks so much for listening to the show. Uh, this hour, we're going to be joined by Lieutenant Colonel Alan West, but of course with you. You can go to briankilmeade.com, click on contacts. You can write me if you're at work and you're embarrassed to talk on the radio. I can understand because you're back at work now after Thanksgiving. I truly appreciate it. This is Giving Tuesday, so find that charity you're thinking about and use this as an opportunity to seek them out and do something. We are going to be talking about uh, a lot of intriguing things, including the developments on the hostage situation and the possible swap that continues with the ceasefire over in Israel. And our people are constantly under attack on the Middle East. It's up now to 76 attacks. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. You know, uh, from Turkey to air travel to tank of gas, costs went down. In fact, as a share of earnings this Thanksgiving, dinner was the fourth cheapest ever on record. Really? I don't know that. By the numbers, the economy looks good, but poll after poll shows the message not translating to real life. Gains for the average American family. We're going to look at why. Number two. Donald Trump beats Biden by three to four points. I beat Biden by 10 to 13 points. Yeah, it was a mini rally for Nikki Haley. She's hailed as a hero. She goes back to South Carolina while picking up major endorsements, as does Ron DeSantis. But Donald Trump's lead only increases. Meanwhile, Joe Biden's base has gone from worry to panic mode as his numbers drop and he's shedding voters in battleground states to all three leading Republicans, especially Haley. Number one. He has absolutely made it clear to the Emir of Qatar and obviously to Prime Minister Netanyahu how how strongly we want to see uh, the American hostages get released. We don't have perfect visibility on them and their condition, uh, but we're, uh, we're working very, very hard. Israel at war, and Hamas hostage release is putting off the massive punishment the, that awaits them as the pause is extended two more days. We have the human drama and the continuing attacks on U.S. bases from the Middle East. And I'm just going to add this. It doesn't look like that 10 have been released yet. There seems to be somewhat of a holdup. Also, all morning long on Fox and Friends, I was watching, and you were probably too, the explosions in the backdrop um, on in northern Gaza. Now, the next operation is going to be in southern Gaza. going to be really complicated because that's where they told all the uh, innocent Palestinians to go. So there's got to be humanitarian corridors. But at the same time, there were explosions. And what I think is happening is they're blowing up some of the tunnels in some of the areas. It doesn't say you can't blow up stuff. Just can't supposed to shoot at people during those ceasefires. Never conducted one. But evidently, our CIA is into Qatar. Uh, William Burns, evidently widely respected, not disputed that I've heard. He's trying to do a wider hostage swap because we only have one American out. we got at least nine more. And you know what made it complicated? And Dan Senor said it on this show. He said as soon as the hostages were taken, 200 plus, a lot of other factions came up to the border and just grabbed them. 
One might be this nine-month-old, Kafir Bibas, the youngest hostage, still there with her with his parents, but we don't know if the parents are with him. And we know the Hamas evidently said, yeah, we don't have him. Really? You don't have him? Not that I believe anything they say, but it does back up what Dancino was saying. There's so many factions. Think of just different gangs in there and Hamas being the biggest. Mike Pompeo says this is all a problem, and this is all because of their weakness, and it's all because the one country behind it is the one that they tried desperately to establish relations with, and that's Iran. Cut five. It's a horrific decision that the leadership in Israel has had to make. I suspect um, they they have a plan. Uh, They are not naive. Uh, Unlike our president, they understand that Iran is behind this and that they've got to wipe Hamas from the face of Gaza and that they will. I'm confident that they're going to do everything they can to get every one of these prisoners home, and then they're going to complete the necessary. They're going to do that hard work. They're going to take Hamas out. I hope so. So yesterday, 11 freed Israeli hostages reunited with their families. That's great. Nine children, two women, are now under the care of Tel Aviv's Ishalav Hospital, where they're reuniting with their families after 53 days of being a hostage. Roughly, they got 51 out to this point. That's only a third of what they need. Uh, and the crazy thing is, uh, what we what was long rumored seems to be true. Hamas no longer has control of a lot of the hostages. I don't know how many, but a lot. The other thing that's happening that's driving me nuts is how our U.S. forces are under attack in Syria, in Kuwait. I No one really reports that, but I keep on getting emails from people saying rockets are hitting Kuwait and uh, in Iraq. And meanwhile, the Houthi rebels also are belligerent. They fired two ballistic missiles towards an Israeli-linked ship. We know that they shot at our ships. We were able to knock them out. A drone targeted U.S. forces at a patrol base in Shadaya, Syria, as attacks on our forces continue in all these places. They got these one-way drones, and they're targeting our forces and our patrol base. Theoretically, we should be able to knock them out, but things fail. And you wonder what's going to get through. Uh, I'll talk about that a little bit more in a moment, but I do want to talk about 2024. So Nikki Haley is about to pick up, I think, Ken Langone next week when he comes to New York. Ken Langone is worth, uh, seven, earned it every second, every penny of it, but something like $70 billion. And he's been backing Trump for a while, and he's a Republican, and he's somebody that would have backed anybody that was capitalistic, wanted to take advantage of our assets and our natural resources in a mature way. But Nikki Haley is picking up a lot of endorsements. She's meeting with Wall Street, and they're beginning to say she's got a shot. Now, Ken Langone is, I shouldn't say $70 billion, $7.2 billion, that according to Forbes. Langone joins a growing group of GOP mega donors, including hedge fund billionaire Ken Griffin, who backed away from their previous plans to support Ron DeSantis after his campaign failed to get traction. Langone told CNBC this. He believes that Haley is the only person that he can see to beat Trump and give him a run for his money. A lot of these people were in the Trump camp even after he lost. It was all the January 6th stuff that drove them away. But enough people with Trump that he's beating Biden head-to-head almost in every poll, five of six battleground states. But it's Nikki Haley who's trailing Trump badly, 50 to 16, 49 to 16, who is the one that everybody keeps talking about. She's real good. But you know what's interesting? She's not attacking Trump. For the most part, she'll answer questions about Trump and she'll say the right person, the right time. We got to get rid of the, um, the he was the right person then. I'm the right person now. But most of the money is going against Ron DeSantis. She wants DeSantis out and wants Trump one on one. I think 
Here's Nikki Haley, cut 16. Donald Trump beats Biden by three to four points. I beat Biden by 10 to 13 points. This isn't just about winning the presidency. This is about winning governorships up and down the ticket, winning House seats up and down the ticket, Senate seats. This is about getting our entire country turned around. We can do this, South Carolina. You've done this before. You know how to do it. Yeah, and, and she did have 2,500 there, and they people love Tim Scott. Now that Tim Scott's out, Nikki Haley wants to vacuum up everybody else. But again, trailing pretty substantially. So this guy, this uh, this former Trump White House attorney, May Mailman, Mailman weighed in yesterday, and uh, May said this on the Nikki Haley momentum. Who she knows? Cut twenty. I just don't buy the Nikki Haley momentum necessarily. Obviously, I see a you know sort of bump in the polls where she's getting to maybe thirteen percent, maybe even with DeSantis. But the problem for Nikki Haley is that President Trump has an 80% approval rating within the Republican Party. And Nikki Haley is sort of seen as disloyal to him. She said out loud she would not run if President Trump was running and here she's running. So I just don't see her able to take away a true Trump voter. And if you're unable to take away a Trump voter, you just can't win in a Republican primary. So the morning consult poll... It shows Trump is gaining ground among key voter segments, including the black vote, Hispanic vote and young Americans. It's fascinating. Meanwhile, he's fighting for his fiscal life at the civil court this week, and he's going to be testifying next week. Eric's going to go this week. And even though the judge said, oh, he committed fraud, he'll just decide how much he owes. And he'll quickly look to stay the order and appeal it and get to the point where he gets a fair trial. Nobody thinks this is a fair trial. For Ron DeSantis, it's simple. Win Iowa. You in Iowa, the gap closes in New Hampshire. There's only 1.1 million people there. He knows he knows the corners. Governor Sununu is a friend would jumpstart him. And he's been to all 99 counties. He's going to finish off that goal, I think, in the next couple of days. Nikki Haley's also been there working hard in Iowa, but she's doing better even in New Hampshire. But again, just backing what that former Trump official said, Trump is still with a commanding lead. Now, Trump said something yesterday. I was surprised at. He said if he wins a second term, he's going to look to get rid of Obamacare again. Now, look, the same problems exist with Obamacare. But the problem is, and this is why so many states tried to forget about, ignore the subsidies offered from the federal government to pay these bills. And they said, because if you start offering it to me and then you pull it back with another president or you decide you don't have the money for it, I'm going to be stuck paying for everyone's subsidies. So that's a lot of these Republican states didn't do it. It's not affordable. Doctors don't like it. But people without insurance uh, prefer that over other insurance. It's affordable. But deductibles are through the roof, which means you're paying really until May for your kids and for yourself, depending on your situation. Now, a lot of people thought, well, like Senator Thune says, I didn't know we were talking about repealing Obamacare. Right now, six of 10 Americans have a positive view of Obamacare. That's what people, because it doesn't mean it's a better program. It's when people are getting used to it. When you get used to it and people take it away, you say, who took it away? Oh, that guy or that woman. That, they took it away. I hate them. So the Wall Street Journal editorial board wrote the Senator Elizabeth Warren, quote, is at long last acknowledged that Obamacare has increased health care prices. 
along with Senator Mike Braun, wrote a letter to HHS Inspector General complaining that health insurers are dodging Obamacare's medical loss ratio. The results, they say, is higher costs for patients. So that's what he's got to build on. I wouldn't bring it up, but he's the one who won and got more votes than anybody else the second time. But I wouldn't even bring it up because now you have Joe Biden says he wants to take away your health care and gives him a talking point while blaming Donald Trump for everything that's going on with the economy. I'll talk about that more in just a moment. When we come back, I'll take your calls, one 866 Let me remind you, too, Teddy and Booker T remains uh, top 10 in the country in the New York Times list. I think it's uh, two American icons blazed a path to social equality. I think you're going to love it. Uh, just go to BrianKillMe.com. You can get it uh, personalized, too, uh, for the holidays. So even if I'm not seeing you in St. Louis, I'm not seeing you at the Bush Library on Saturday, and I'm not seeing you uh, elsewhere in Texas over over the weekend or in Fair uh, uh, Fairborn, uh, Alabama, uh, we will uh, will you'll have a chance to get a personalized book. I go once a week to the local Barnes and Noble, and I'll make sure we get it out in time. Don't move. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it? <clears throat> a real POS. You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Inflation is up over 17% since President Biden came here. And you're saying that's still Trump's Inflation, fault. inflation is moderating because of the actions that this per- this president has taken. Doesn't because that prices because are going up slower. Be- They're still high. It's going down. The prices are going down. So that is a little of the sparring session that took place yesterday. And, uh... KJP, she has to do some work. She has to say, look, I know what the numbers say, but you also should understand what Bloomberg found out. They did some practical look at what, why people aren't spending, why they are down on the complexion of the economy right now. And it's because almost all basic items are up and up significantly. When you talk about food prices, up 25 percent. Electricity is up 25 percent. Look at this. Electricity up 25 percent. Um Restaurants, you go after a restaurant, up on the average 24%. Natural gas, up 24%. These are just practical things people do. Now, I'll tell you something else. If you have a credit card, you say to yourself, you know, every month I carry a little bit of a balance. It's not that big a deal because I'm 1% or 2%. I, I blitz it, you know, in February. Now, all of a sudden, you look at it, and now the rates are up 7 8 9 10 12%. So you look down, and you say, wait a second, I bought four items. They've almost doubled in price, and ooh, I missed a payment. And evidently, on average, 386 percent of the people were delinquent on their credit cards last year. It's at 5.7 percent this year. Now, if you're paycheck to paycheck and you think you can handle that visa and all of a sudden everything's going up 25 percent and then you go, I got to make a decision. All right, I'm not paying this. And you let the visa go. Then you look down and visa gets so high, you think all I'm going to do is make the minimum payments, which you know don't work. And then you got your student loan that they promised was forgiven. You get a little angry. So when people say, well, the GDP grow at X percent and the um, and the jobless claims are below projections and unemployment is below what anyone ever thought for a sustained period of time. All right. 
great. Uh, doesn't really affect me. Well, you could tell me over and over again the economy's working, but it doesn't really affect me. Gas and oil are up. Now, do you know what they started doing? Increasing oil production. But they don't want to make too big a deal of it. Why? Because their base is to the left, and they're all about green technology. And if you don't start, they're upset at the Biden administration, these lefties. You know the same crazies that are sitting in the street blocking the Manhattan Bridge? Those are the same crazy lefties that think that Joe Biden hasn't done enough for the environment, hasn't enough done with electric cars, hasn't done done enough with solar panels. So he is not even going to the climate summit. So his political experts say, all right, so start talking about how you got oil and gas down. He's like, I can't really do that. Why? Because then I'm going to alienate the people who are saying that I'm not green enough. Well, what about oil and gas? Well, you could tell moderate voters to vote for me because I'm getting oil and gas down. It's like, well, that's not really the case. We've increased drilling. But you know what happened? OPEC Plus has not upped the average uh, per barrel rates at the normal rate that they projected to do. So oil and gas are now at a more palatable level than they have been under Joe Biden's regime. So he's in a tough spot because he went left and then he realized he wasn't left enough. That's the problem. Here's Tudor Dixon, who would thought was to be outside the abortion issue. She might have been in the next governor of Michigan. Cut 22. Well, I think that's a sticky wicket for the Democrats because they cannot say they're going to dump Kamala Harris right now. They, I think they were testing Gavin Newsom. I think sending him to China was a test. It failed miserably. His numbers went lower. It's not looking good for the Democrats. And I think they know right now they're in a tight spot. They can't bail. So they are in a tight spot. She went on. Cut 23. Their biggest problem is that now that Joe has to come out on the world stage and talk about this hostage situation over in Israel, and he's screwing it up. He's reading the he, he's reading these speeches as though he was there, but it's very obvious from the way he's reading these speeches that he wasn't involved in these meetings, that he's not the one negotiating. He doesn't remember names. He's flubbing everything. It's got the Democrats really freaked out, but I just don't think they have an alternative. When you see Politico out there saying, holy cow, Donald Trump is taking off and I don't think we can stop him. You know that they are actually saying we are in, they're sounding the alarm, but nobody's coming to put out the fire. Because I don't know what they can do. And Tudor Dixon's right. She has a great podcast too. Because I don't know what they can do. Because if he doesn't want to leave, he does, he's got the whole apparatus. He's got the Air Force One. He's going to fly around. Uh, and he's going to say, these people have always been with me. I'll have a base. He'll, the party will totally fracture. And he'll lose anyway. So your only choice is to stay with him unless he has a medical episode. Or he Jill talks to him and says, you're, you're not doing the same. You're not doing as well as you could. I, you know, you're forgetting your name. You're, you're not doing well. I worry every time you leave the house. Uh, I worry every time you walk up the plane. And I think, why don't we enjoy you know, the last years you have together? But there's no indication it's going to happen. Although, you know, they, have, they don't really have much of a staff yet, a re-election staff. What do you ever think of Trump? Of Obama, Clinton, Bush, they were all built out by now. They didn't have some rookie running a campaign because she's Hispanic. That's what it seems like. Julio uh, Cesar Chavez's granddaughter is running things. Did you see that migrant train coming towards our border? Lieutenant Colonel Alan West did. He's next.
Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. It's unfortunate that people have um, taken such sides here because this is something that has been going on for decades, right? And um, we did show the reunification of of Jewish families, and I think that was really important, especially little Abigail. I'm a mother. Um, I can't imagine having your your, your child taken from you and held hostage by a terrorist organization. But we also, there were, you know, 76 Palestinians, including women and children, that were being held in Israel with no understanding of why they were being held, no administrative hearings. And so those, um, those reunifications are something that we should also be looking at and talking about. Yeah, so we should focus more on the Palestinians. I know the Israelis just randomly picked up teens and women and jailed them. That is their reputation, and I am being sarcastic. But the view just keeps on giving, but sadly they reflect a lot of people's thoughts in those same idiots that blocked the Manhattan Bridge yesterday, that defile the hostage photos. There are on street poles in major cities and uh, small towns. That's the mindset, Sonny Sonny Austin of The View. Lieutenant Colonel Alan West knows that, what we're dealing with now in this country. He's the uh, executive director of the American Constitutional Rights Union. Uh, Colonel, welcome back. Your thoughts about Sonny Hostin saying not enough emphasis on the returning prisoners. Well, you know, I saw some pictures of these returning prisoners being paraded through the streets in the West Bank. And these are individuals that had ties to terrorist activities and crimes against the Israeli citizens. I haven't seen any, quote-unquote, Palestinian women and children being released in this exchange. As a matter of fact, when you look at what they're doing, it's almost, what, two or three to one of the hostages that Hamas is saying that they're taking, which were innocent, you know, babies and, and older women and, and men. and uh, But what they want to be released back to them are fighters, people that have their hands tied with, with terrorism. So I don't understand what The View is talking about. I don't understand the sympathy toward a terrorist organization. And I don't understand how you put, you know, these hostages who were, you know, on October the 7th, were brutally taken from their everyday lives as, uh, you know, pawns by an Islamic terrorist organization to people who were involved in terrorism being released. You, there, There is no comparison. When I think about the Irish prime minister who made the comment that uh, this young lady was lost, this little child was lost, and now she's been found. No, she was taken. She was a hostage. So we're getting them back. we got two more days. I think there's some hang-up right now. I'm trying to get to the bottom of it, uh, of the 10 that are supposed to be released today. It's got to be 10 minimum uh, and uh, 10 a day. So they got two more days. And then they got to go back to eradicating Hamas, wiping them off the face of the earth. And they yeah. got to do that right now. And it's going to be tougher each time they stop. But yet you see these reunification, reunifications, Colonel. You know that we have a CIA director in there trying to get more hostages out. I think William Burns is one of the few people I really respect in this administration. So he is trying to do something there. So how do you balance the humanitarian aspect of saving innocent people at the same time of, of wiping out this terror organization? Well, I think the thing you have to realize is that Hamas is going to string this out, and they're not doing this out of the goodness of their heart. Uh, What they see now is that they're on the ropes, and this is all about rearming, refitting, repositioning, and re-equipping themselves. And the humanitarian assistance and aid that goes in there is not getting to the Gazan citizens. It's going toward the Hamas to extend their their life, uh, their shelf life. 
So I would have said that, look, we're going to continue with this operation and the pressure thereof until every single one of the hostages is released. We're not going to have this, you know, four days and we get 50 here, another four days we get 50 there. No, it's uh, 12 hours and you must release every single one of these hostages or we're going to continue to keep the pressure on it. And, and this is the tough part about leadership, Brian. And, uh, you know, with Prime Minister Netanyahu and the IDF uh, leadership, uh, the position that they're in, they have to be able to say that we want to get the hostages out, but we also understand that there's a greater picture here. We have to keep the pressure on a terrorist organization that wants to completely exterminate and eradicate all of us. I just got to share this with you. It's kind of a big deal uh, in the 2024 election. The Koch uh, Koch Network has endorsed Governor Nikki Haley in a bid once again to push past Trump. They tried to do it in 2016. And maybe even in 2020, I forgot. But now they're putting their millions behind her. Uh, They believe she's the best chance. He goes, the commitment by the network. Americans for Prosperity Action bolsters Haley as the campaign enters the final seven weeks before Iowa starts. You take that, Ken Langone and $7 billion. Uh, Others, people like Ken Griffin. Uh, Does it matter? How much does it matter in closing that gap? You know political campaigns. Well, you know, you can throw all the money in there behind the candidate, but it's still going to come down to who shows up in Iowa, New Hampshire, in South Carolina, where, you know, President Trump has, I believe, like a 20 to 22 percentage point lead over the former governor of South Carolina. That's Nikki Haley. So I don't know if all these dollars that they are pushing in there is going to make a difference as far as the base that you see for uh, President Trump. Uh, But they're definitely going to be flooding the airways with all types of, uh, of, of messaging. But I would just warn them to, you know, if you're going to do this, talk more so about what Nikki Haley brings to the table instead of trying to bring down Donald Trump. If you try to make this all negative advertising, you're going to be pushing out there. You're just going to increase his base of support. See, that's just it. And and I'm watching these other channels and they're saying, have the courage to take on Trump. And they don't realize it's not courage because you have to understand that with Donald Trump, when you go after him, he's got such a loyal base that they take it personal. You're not attacking yeah. them. You're attacking the Johnson family or, or the O'Keefe's in North Dakota. You know, you're, you're attacking all of them because they believe in, in Trump. You have to be an alternative that doesn't hate him. That's why I think that Governor Haley said, hey, Trump's beating Biden by three. I'm beating him by 12. They didn't yeah. deny that Trump's winning. I think that is the tactic. I don't even know if he's beatable. But I'm saying that would be the tactic because you could tell people whatever you want. They're not going to hate. They're not going to leave them. What you got to convince is people that are upset about January 6th, uh, upset about the trials uh, or worried about the trials might be too distracting and Joe Biden might win again. That's what you got to do. No, you're absolutely right on that. And that's always been my advice to candidates to talk about what you're for, not what you're against. Uh, And I think if Nikki Haley can look at all of these things that are happening and show her leadership and show that she can be a viable alternative uh, to to uh, a President Trump, and that you know she the policies of President Trump are her policies. I mean, she should she should come out and say that. But when it comes to a person that has to be able to take this 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 battlefield and be able to successfully, without a doubt, beat uh, uh, Joe Biden or anybody that the Democrats put up there, I think that's the path that she has to take. So again, it's about being positive, not about being negative, not about going after and attacking Trump, which as you just articulated, 
people take that personally. Right. So uh, I don't think I think if you watch Fox and Friends this morning, you see this huge train full of illegal immigrants literally steaming towards our border. And yes. I mean, you thousands. I mean, these people are just hanging all over it. To me, it would never be allowed in an American city. It's illegal. I mean, you can't have just people hanging out of steam engines, normally filled with coal. So they're coming our direction and they're going to get in here. So we have to stop it. At the same time, Republicans say, if you want to finance Ukraine, you want to finance Israel, you want to finance Taiwan, I need border money and I need asylum rules changes. So, Colonel, if the Democrats walked up to you and said, what do you need? And the Republicans should say, what do I have to what do I demand from this administration? What do you need? You're in Texas. Well, I will tell you, I I need the Border Patrol and I need ICE to be able to do their jobs. And and that's the most important thing. You know, I get the funding aspect of it. Well, allow these people to do their jobs. Allow these people to once again start going back and deporting individuals, especially start off with all the single military-aged males that we have allowed to come into this country. You know, we've got more single military-aged males that we've allowed in the past two and a half, three years into this country than the full – uh, you know, active duty strength of the Army and the Marine Corps. When you talk about one to 1.5 million gotaways, the, the active duty strength of the Army and Marine Corps is nowhere near that. When you talk about 30,000 uh, Chinese nationals coming in, that's the equivalent of three uh, active duty Army divisions. So what I need first and foremost before even the money, you know, Mayorkas needs to go, and we need to start having the Border Patrol and, and the ICE do what they're supposed to do, and that is deport individuals and shut down the border and enforce our laws and do what the Constitution says and enforce and protect our sovereignty. And then we can talk about the money that is necessary to do that. But it has to be a policy change first and foremost. So we're looking at that Black Lives, this Black Lives Matter director of Rhode Island. He was on today on Fox and Friends with Lawrence Jones, and he shocked me. Uh, he sounded like you. And he's still running the chapter, but he said, listen, uh, my vote is switched and my, and my ideas are, are I'm with Trump. Let's listen. I just think that it's going to take information. A lot of people are misinformed. They don't really understand because they don't educate themselves on, on Donald Trump as a person and his history. Um, but if they do that, and it's going to take, you know, leaders, educated leaders, getting the word out there. Um, I think that it, it'll happen on its own and it'll be organic because um, personally, I love the man. I mean, how could you not like if, <laughs> a real man? Uh, how could you not relate to someone like that? So with this guy who everyone wants to call a racist, uh, yeah. it's not, you know, the numbers are increasing. It's still way too low. But he went on. I want you to hear a little more. I think personally, it's the duplicity of the Democrats, mm. the hypocrisy. Um, we're not stupid. The brothers are not stupid. We, we understand when someone's for us and when someone is not. And it's obvious that the Democratic Party is not for us. And I can go on. We were I was my jaw was on the ground. You feel that way. Byron Donalds feels that way. Tim Scott feels that way. But and the numbers seem to be growing. Ben Carson seems that way. But they look at you guys. They think you're an anomaly. Is this changing, yeah. Colonel? Yeah, it is changing. And I think that offensive remark that Joe Biden said back uh, in 2020, if you don't vote for me, you ain't black, uh, I think it's coming to fruition. It's coming to bite him in the hindquarters. Look, when, when Donald Trump was there, you had you know record support to historical black colleges and universities. You had record uh, unemployment in the black community. You had economic empowerment zones going into our inner city environments. But yet, when you look at the policies of the left, you see the high rates of crime. You see the breakdown of 
of the family. You know, the fact that you have this Democrat Party that won't support school choice, uh, educational freedom, that's a big thing in the black community where you saw in Baltimore County, less than 5 percent of the kids there in Baltimore County can do math at grade level. So it is about getting this information out there and countering the, the false narratives of the Democrat Party. So interesting because I'm listening to the daily New York Times podcast and this yeah. African-American reporter went with his family and he just interviewed them all on Thanksgiving. Who are you voting for and why? And the more they, you know, they, they were saying things to nature that just made me think Republicans have totally dropped the ball. Well, I don't know. I don't really know what Republicans stand for. They seem to be people that just want to get as much wealth as possible and they don't care what stands in their way. They seem to be more of a party of the rich and but just winging it as if you asked yeah. me to talk about cricket. Uh, you go, right, well, you know, I know it's a game when it appears in Australia or, or uh, Pakistan. So and it just it just shows me, too, that Republicans have not gone into the inner city and taken and take no. and listen and just get. Tell me, you st- listen, number one. And number two, tell me what you stand for and let them know. You know what, Brian? And, and when I was the state party chairman here in Texas, I, I told people this. Texas has the largest Republican Party in the country, the, the state of Texas, the, our Republican Party. The Republican Party of Texas was founded on Independence Day of 1867 by 150 black men in Houston. And when you would tell white Republicans that in Texas, they didn't even know it. So you can just imagine that the black community does not know that. And, and so maybe that's a, a good topic for your next book. But when you look at that history and when you look at people like – Booker T. Washington, you look at people like State Senator Matthew Gaines of of Texas, you know, these were people that started out, the very first black members of the United States House and Senate were, were, were from, were Republicans from down south. And so there has been that history, and somehow that history has gotten confused. But if the Republican Party does not understand, they've got to take their message into the urban centers, into the inner cities, where all of their policies align, you know, the conservative policies align with the black community and Hispanic community. I would just love to see Donald Trump go in there. I don't want a handpicked audience, just making sure there's no activists, just people in Chicago, into Baltimore, and just say, let's go, let's talk. You know, and, yeah. and, you know, it doesn't mean you can't have your vice presidential or your running partner with you or your treasury secretary with and start, what do you. What is the deal? What do you think I said? You know, what do you think I would do? How do I feel? And I did not know that. And he, Ben Carson would be there. People that are obviously would be with him if he wins again and just yep. televise it live. He would love the challenge. I, I hope he t- I hope he tries that. You know, because no, I agree. Yeah, it's... And because you look in Chicago right now, you have people in the black community in Chicago that are standing up against all these illegal immigrants being dumped in their neighborhood. Yep. So there, there's an opportunity. Colonel Allen West, thanks so much. Uh, he's the executive director of the American Constitutional Rights Union. Thanks so much, Colonel. Well, Take care, Brian. You got it. We'll talk to you again when we come back. Your turn. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. Also, uh, we do have some story on Hunter. Uh, a story on Hunter Biden. You're not going to believe. Don't move. Coming to you on a need-to-know basis, because, man, do you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. 
I am still devastated. We're two months since this war has been underway by the silence from women's group in this country about the rape being used as an act of war in this attack. The fact that sexual violence was used against Israeli women in the major women's groups in this country have not come out and denounced it. This weekend, Sheryl Sandberg put out a gripping video calling for it. That violates every rule of, wa of warfare. It is the height of immorality and the fact that the United Nations en uh, Entity for Gender Equality and Women Empowerment has been silent. The UN Committee on Elimination of Discrimination Against Women has been silent. And the international Me Too movement has perhaps, had a thing. So, and I'm going to let you hear Whoopi Goldberg followed up, and I have that. But that was Alyssa Farrah, uh, Farrah Griffin, which I, you know, she's a Republican. She doesn't like Trump now these days, obviously. That's why she gets on all these shows. Just a good job. Uh, but what she's saying is the way these women were treated, there is such a huge double standard. I mean, you're talking about the most abusive way possible. You're talking about uh, you're talking about pregnant women having their baby cut out of their stomachs. Well, you would think to just be a no-brainer to stand up and speak out. All the women that were taken hostage now being released, but they're not. I mean, it's the least of the problems, but it's just something that just shows they're picking their spots. I mean, for example, why was Attorney General Merrick Garland just talking about this? Uh, <clears throat> the possibility of a hate crime over the weekend with the three or four Palestinian people that sadly uh, were uh, were shot by uh, seems to be a lunatic unprovoked might be a hate crime might not it looks like it was Palestinians uh, on Thanksgiving I don't know what they were up to but let's just say on the surface it was really you know how many hate crimes are going on in New York City in Chicago you know what's going on in Los Angeles have you seen some of this video the guy died in Orange County. Here's Whoopi Goldberg, cut 10. The bottom line truly is this. You don't have a choice. You have to end this because at some point it's going to dawn on everybody there that no one's leaving. No one's leaving the land. So the question has to become, how do we live together on this land? Yeah. Yeah. That is all that people should be thinking about so that this does not continue to happen. When she was talking about the, it's uh, how are the Palestinians going to live there with Israel? Don't sit there and say they're just going to be gone. Look, Israel, if you just look at the history, and I, I'm not saying she doesn't know it, there's been all these two-state solutions, all these ideas been brought up. They were afraid to sign off on it. Hamas emerges and says, we don't want a two-state solution. We want to blow up Israel. What do you want Israel to do? News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi everyone, welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Uh, this hour we're going to be joined by uh, Secretary of Defense Mark Esper is standing by and Yuval David, uh, Emmy Award winning actor, host, director and filmmaker. Won over 100 international film festival awards, speaking out about where the hell all his fellow actors and actresses are fighting back against anti-Semitism. You're not going to come out for Israel? That's befuddling, number one. But number two is, what about speaking up? He is. And Barney and company will do a simulcast. It'll be great. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. You know, uh, from Turkey to air travel to tank of gas... Costs went down. In fact, as a share of earnings this Thanksgiving, dinner was the fourth cheapest ever on record. I want you all to know that. 
Yeah, no one's feeling it. Uh, by the numbers, the economy may look good, but it's not feeling good. That according to almost every poll, the latest one by Bloomberg. Why? Because almost everything from eating out at a restaurant to natural gas uh, to the utilities you're paying are up 25%. Number two, Donald Trump beats Biden by three to four points. I beat Biden by 10 to 13 points. That's true. Uh, notice she said Donald Trump beats him. She's not making an enemy of Donald Trump right now. Haley hailed as a hero as she goes back home to South Carolina. 2,500 show up. Donald Trump gets uh, cheered by most of a packed stadium uh, in South Carolina over the weekend. Meanwhile, Joe Biden's base has gone from worried to panic mode. I'll explain. Number one. He has absolutely made it clear to the Emir of Qatar and obviously to Prime Minister Netanyahu how how strongly we want to see uh, the American hostages get released. We don't have perfect visibility on them and their condition, uh, but we're uh, we're working very, very hard. That is John Kirby, the admiral. Israel at war. Hamas hostage release is being putting off the massive punishment that awaits them. But now there's a problem with the pause as the Palestinians have violated it with IEDs that went off, we believe, in Israel. Both sides are blaming each other. Let's go to Secretary, to former Secretary of State Mark Esper. Uh, Mr. Secretary, thanks so much for being with us. By the way, pick up his book, uh, A Sacred Oath. It's great. Uh, your reaction to both sides accusing each other of violating the, uh, the, the pause in action. Hey, Brian, good morning. First of all, great to be with you and your uh, audience. Um, Look, it's it's uh, it's disturbing, but it's not surprising. I I would blame Hamas first and foremost. Uh, you know, kind of keeping their militants in line. But we got to see what the facts are. It could have been, uh, you know, it could have been another Islamic group out there. Hamas isn't the only group of terrorists uh, occupying uh, or working in Gaza and in the West Bank. So we'll have to see what 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 comes out of it. If you're a military guy in charge of these military operations, what worries you most about the pause? Well, speaking purely from a military sense, uh, my concern is that you, Hamas now has four days, probably six if the extension continues, to uh, refit, rearm, to uh, reorganize its troops, to fortify positions, to booby-trap tunnels. I mean, the, the fact of the matter is it's going to be a riskier operation for the IDF, and they'll likely lose more soldiers uh, once they begin the next phase of the conflict, which is heading into the southern half of Gaza. So it's going to increase, uh, it's going to increase the, the odds of troops being hurt and uh, somewhat a little bit more risk to mission as well. This mission gets a lot tougher uh, in the north is tough. They exposed that the, what was rumored was true, that the tunnels underneath the hospital, underneath mosques, many weapons depots and headquarters. Uh, skeptics will be skeptics. But anybody that was open to understanding understands that that's what Hamas was doing. Having said that, they told everyone to go south. And now. The IDF eventually, right near in the, in the middle for now of a two-day pause, will go south. You, you went to West Point. You've probably all done these war games to, to graduate. How do you handle this? Yeah, look, it's, you're, you're now talking about uh, warfare in multiple dimensions, right? Uh, above the ground, uh, in buildings, and then below the ground, which is really, really tricky because you, we've all seen the photos, videos of these very narrow passageways, Many of them have blast doors, which are fortified. Hamas can fight for them. You know, the last time Israel was uh, fighting in the tunnels a few years ago, they suffered a lot of casualties. But look, Brian, you're right. Uh, not only has Hamas moved south, but the uh, Gazans have moved south. So you're now fighting against uh, uh, more militants in that area, uh, in more densely packed with civilians, and becomes far more 
tricky for the IDF to go in there, and you go, they got to expect more booby traps. Uh, I just hope right now they're taking the time to clear out the northern tunnels and and um, and, and dismantle them and do what they need to do. But it's it's going to be really tricky, and then you have to contain it to make sure that none of these terrorists escape escape as the IDF begins its push south. But it's it's going to get uglier, that's for sure. So what are you flying in the sky, uh, Mr. Secretary? You know, they said, hey, no drones. But you can't detect drones anyway, you know, by the eye. So we need to see how the where these hostages are coming from when they get into the Red Crescent vans and then come to the border. I mean, this is a rescue. We'd love this to be a rescue operation and let's a hostage exchange because we're giving out uh, the Israelis giving out prisoners each time. So you if you could visualize Gaza and then you know what drones are capable of and satellites are capable of, what do you think they've learned over the last few days? Well, first of all, Brian, you, you, you touched on a good point. Is I, I don't know what the deal actually says. We know that it's, it said no drones for for so many hours a day over Gaza. But does that include uh, surveillance aircraft? Uh, obviously, it wouldn't include satellite data. Uh, you could have uh, long-range visual systems that are ground-based. There are a number of other ways to do it. Uh, you, you, have, you also have to remember it's not just um, it's not just visual systems, but it's also signals intelligence and other means by which you can detect what they're doing. Because, like I said. They are probably repositioning troops, but you also want to get a good sense of how are they moving the, uh, the, the hostages around? Where are they bringing them from? Where are they taking them to? Because that gives you some idea of where they are, but also if you have to conduct a rescue operation, you have a better sense of where the hostages are. So I think that is a really important question here, but I would want to know – I would want to understand all those things, that, that picture, if you will, what's happening in southern Gaza and how they're moving around. Look, I picked up in some other news reports that at this point in time, uh, the IDF has killed dozens of Hamas commanders and, and hundreds and hundreds of Hamas militants. I, I think they're estimated to be 24,000 strong. But as we were saying a few minutes ago, most of those are now going to be packed into the south as, as the IDF conducts this next phase of the operation. If, if they begin it, I mean, the big question hanging in the air right now is how long does this, this pause in fighting continue? How long does Hamas continue to trickle out hostages? And, it, I mean, if you just did the math at uh, 10 a day, I mean, you're talking about 20 days. And what does that do to the broader strategic uh, push that Israel wants to do, the narrative out there in the international media that this is, you know, that Israel is to blame? So those are all bigger strategic political factors that will impact Mm -hmm. the the military ground game. You were Secretary of the Army, too, right? That's correct. Yep. So you're Secretary of the Army, you're former Secretary of Defense. The Houthi rebels were not a factor like this when you had the job. Now they are bold enough to be rocketing Israel. Uh, shooting off rockets at us, and now trying to hijack ships that they think might be related to Israelis while taking shots at us. So being that they feel as though they're impervious, and we know they're thoroughly supported uh, by Iran, how would you handle this? How how would you begin to take control of the region, knowing that we've been rocketed 74 times in Iraq and Syria? Yeah, that's a great point, Brian. Look, you're right. You hit the numbers spot on. Over 70 attacks by Iranian militias in Syria, in Iraq, in Yemen. You can go around the region. Iran is behind it all, providing money and arms and equipment, those types of things. We have only responded, I think, four or five or six times and and have suffered over 60 casualties to our service members, anything from shrapnel wounds to traumatic brain injury. And we simply are not responding frequently enough or forcefully enough to these these, uh, attacks by the proxies. And my view is Uh, you're not going to achieve deterrence and and make them stop until you're far more frequent and forceful. The fact that, uh, look, I'm glad we sent the destroyer to to capture the the Houthi rebels who tried to 
uh, pirate away that Israeli ship. But we should have responded when the ballistic missiles were shot at us. We could have taken out the launchers. And my view is every time they attack, we should double down and attack back. And we're just not seeing that. You know, I'll tell you, in December, I think, 2019, when uh, Iranian proxy groups, Shia militias, attacked our forces in Iraq and in Syria, we attacked uh, multiple sites in a single evening. We killed over 20-some militiamen, to include some IRGC, and then we wounded 50-plus uh, terrorists. So that's the type of response I think we need to see, because when you, when you have that type of re- response, you see the attacks fall off. You see them think twice about what they're doing, and that's what we need to achieve. Do you have to check with the president? For example, you're Secretary Austin. You see this happening. You know where these militias are. You get the satellite photos. People walk up to you. Or maybe you could explain to our audience how it works. Uh, you know, you know. You, sometimes you need to react quickly. Do you have the authority just to hit back? Well, first of all, it, you know, it depends on the president. Um, oftentimes, at least my experience has been that we would often go to President Trump and he would approve these things. Um, but we always we always had prepared target packets. We knew if they did had these options, we could present them to the president. He could pick and choose. Uh, you know, and inevitably when we uh, when we got to the point with regard to uh, the militia groups in Baghdad threatening our embassies, that's when a, a group of options were presented to President Trump, and he ultimately decided to uh, attack and kill uh, Qassam Soleimani. But uh, yeah, you, you have prepared target lists. Uh, the president could choose from a menu of things. We have. Uh, you can anticipate what you think the casualty rates will be, collateral damage, all those things that are prepared to give the president an option, options. And that's what you want to do. You want to give him options. And like I said, in most cases like this, the president wants to choose. But in other cases, you can be given free reign. It depends on the authority. Uh, we, our commanders in, um, in Central Command and Africa, Africa Command had free authority to go after terrorists below a certain level. So it, j- it just all depends. In this case, I think President Biden is being the too self-deterred. too concerned about escalation uh, with the Iranians. I don't think that's going to happen. Now, look, I don't want to. I don't want to see open up another front right now for Israel. I think we need to let them focus on Hamas and just Hamas, not worry about Hezbollah in the north or Iran to the east. But proxy attacks, while related, are not the same thing, and I think we need to go after those because it's it's chipping it away away at our stature in the Middle East. And we all know the problem. I mean, the, the, where the center of this planter's ward is, is Iran. And they seem to be enjoying every moment of this. In a way, Secretary Esper, they've got what they wanted. Middle East, as different and as imperfect as those governments are, when we're looking for that perfect democracy, you don't go there. I get it. But they were coming along to recognizing Israel and seeing us no longer as the enemy, even changing the curriculum in some of their schools, those extremist movements that seem to be endless have a, because of how well you guys fought the war on terror and took out terrorists, they see, there seemed to be a major change. And that was Iran's greatest fear. Does it bother you that in reacting justly like we should, even though not strong enough, that we're doing exactly what they want? Right. Well, I mean, if you look back over the last three years of this administration, there, people forget the numbers, but there have actually been over 160 or 70 attacks against U.S. forces uh, over the past three years. But here's the, the, more, the more immediate question at hand, and that is we know is, Israel needs to defeat Hamas once and for all. And we know that means uh, taking out their commanders and, and eliminating their, their operational capacity. But in military terms, in, in military doctrine, when we talk about defeating an enemy, it also means preventing their ability to reconstitute that offensive capability. In this case, unless you deal with Iran, unless you cut off the flow of arms and funding and training and everything else, 
then Hamas is just going to reconstitute itself in two or three years and we'll be exactly back to where we've been each and every time. So my argument has been, look, again, we don't want to start up, start another uh, front right now, but we should be thinking strategically about how do we go about when once Hamas is defeated, organizing our allies in the region, and maybe that's through the normalization talks with the Saudis and others, but then also having these discussions with the Europeans who have been the bigger challenge here about a, a broad-based campaign to really – uh, put the screws to Iran once and for all to get them to turn off this this pipeline of uh, arms and, and equipment and everything else. We need to deal with that problem. That's the challenge, ultimately, that we have to face up to. Think they're up to it? I don't think this administration is. Look, there's a lot going on in the world. I get that. We have Ukraine. We're concerned about the Taiwan Strait. But uh, the Mideast is going to continue to fester, not just in the, with Israel, but in other parts of the region where uh, where Iran is causing problems, Iraq, Syria. Uh, I mean, the list goes on and on. But we have to face this. And that, uh, look, obviously, you be, begin with diplomacy. I think we're past that now. I think we really need to clamp down with, with sanctions, uh, economic, financial, et cetera. I mean, that was the maximum pressure campaign by the Trump administration. Unfortunately, we couldn't get the Europeans and others on board to assist us. Maybe now there's an awakening that we live in a brutal world and that after October 7th, um, you know, I- Iran has to be addressed. And maybe that's changed the dynamics so that we can get the Europeans on board and, and others. It's not just them, but others to really, again, clamp down on economic, tough economic and financial sanctions against Tehran once and for all. I'm also worried about our military, uh, our, our weapons base. Have we done anything to start uh, increasing our industrial base to build more uh, tanks, bullets, rockets, all these things, you know, the drones. These days, it's a great concern, Brian. The biggest issue these days is 155-millimeter ammunition, which is being used in, in Ukraine extensively, but also to some degree in Israel. But it's rockets and missiles and those types of things, really, everything from javelins and stingers to the higher-end things. The Pentagon has been slow, but they're on it now. But the Congress has been even slower. Uh, they're not giving the Pentagon what it needs, me, needs in terms of multi-year procurement authority and multi-year appropriations. And that's what it's going to take. When, when I say multi-year, it's not going to take two or three years. I think it's going to take seven, eight, nine years in order to get to where we need to have enough stocks to support our own war plans, but also to assist allies and friends uh, when, 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 when they're uh, facing challenges. And, and right now, we're not on that war footing yet. And the bigger concern for folks out there should be, um, I'm sorry, should be China and Taiwan and what happens in that part of the world. Right. And anybody running for president has to uh, address this. It's not an option. We're given $900 billion for defense. Somehow, uh, the, both parties have to realize it's it's in our interest to fix this uh, before before we have to in the middle of a, a World War II style. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's uh, you know, you referenced World War II, but in World War II, we could produce you know, dumb bombs in, in, in days and weeks. In an age of smart weapons that are very, very sophisticated, you're talking months, if not wow. years. Uh, you, you could lose a war before you ever get your production up and running, and that's my concern. Yeah. Mr. Secretary, always great to talk to you. Uh, Mark Esper, appreciate it. Thanks, Brian. Have a good day. You got it. We come back. Your thoughts about what we just went over. We're also bringing the latest news. I'm going to bring you a Hunter Biden. You're not going to believe it. Uh, this is The Brian Kilmeade Show. It's Brian Kilmeade. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back. Just a quick announcement, especially if you're in the in New York area. You know, Tuddy and Booker T. Uh, I was looking at the New York Times list. It looks like it's number six. He told me it was number nine. It looks like it's number six. Thanks to you guys. Uh, and I just wanted to make an announcement. I just hope to see. I love seeing people in person. A lot of people don't like book tours. I feel the opposite. 
uh, tomorrow. That's uh, I don't know when you're going to be listening to this, but Wednesday, November 29th, I'll be at the Point Pleasant Beach, New Jersey, Little Point Bookshop. Then uh, I'll be uh, a talking to the KFTK uh, listeners in Eureka, Missouri. And if you if you can't get tickets, I know it's sold out. Go to BrianKillMe.com. You can get it personalized. Uh, December 2nd in Dallas, Texas at the Bush Library. Uh, I'll also the same day earlier, I'll be at Harker Heights, Texas at the Barnes & Noble signing there at 201 East Central Texas Parkway. The next day, December 3rd, uh, Fairhope, Alabama. I hope to see everyone at the Page and Pallet. It, last time it was one of the best stops you'll ever make as an author. The whole town came out, and I hope we can do that again, get in the Christmas spirit. Then I'll be at WHO listeners. Uh, well, hopefully I'll see everybody in Dayton, uh, uh, Dayton, Ohio. And then Lexington, Kentucky, December 9th, on the 10th in Charlotte, North Carolina, at the Barnes & Noble. And then I'll do in live shows where I talk about all the books on stage. Great experience. Just go to BrianKillMe.com, buy tickets right outside Pittsburgh in Munhoe Park, Pennsylvania. And on December 16th, Holland, Michigan, Holland Civic Center Place. Oh, those tickets are going fast, so be there. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. There are a lot of people that are afraid, afraid of being Jewish at this time and are getting a taste of what it feels like to be a Muslim in this country, so often uh, subjected to violence. Uh, That is Susan Sarandon. And after she was confronted by UTA and say, listen, Afraid uh, now the Jews would feel like it's like to be a Muslim, way out of bounds. Her agents are Jewish, UTA, and she, they confronted her and said, listen, you, it's unbelievably hurtful what you said. It's way off base. What are you talking about? She apologized and then doubled down. So they fired her. But a lot of people, if you're not speaking out against it and deciding to stay silent, both things are uh, out of control and really surprising. Yuval David is a celebrated Emmy Award-winning actor, host, director, and filmmaker who has won over 100 international film festival awards. Uh, Yuval, welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Brian, thank you so much for having me on the show. It's an, it's an honor to be here and to share important information with our American public. This should not be a hard decision to make. I mean, we saw what happened on October 7th. It was a massacre of the likes of which no one in the modern world has seen before. And Israel is outside the U.K., along with the U.K., our, our, our greatest ally in the region, by far the best ally. And yet people are having Absolutely. trouble speaking up or speaking out or have trouble finding out what side they should be on. How do you explain this? Well, I, I get very upset when people practice both sides-ism uh, because there aren't two sides. There are multiple sides to this situation. There are multiple perspectives. But truly, if anybody genuinely believes in democracy and how important democratic governments and democratic nations are, they should support other democratic nations. They should not support or justify terrorism. There is no justification for terrorism. There is no justification for terrorist groups and how they subjugate their own people, let alone other people's. And Anybody who calls themselves a human rights or civil rights or social justice warrior needs to really know that that needs to include all people, 
one of the problems that we're seeing is people are not in people in Israel. So what do you think that that represents? I think it represents underlying anti-Semitism and nothing else. So I... Are you disappointed in individuals, anyone you mentioned? I mean, a lot of them, a lot of people in Hollywood, I'm sure, are Jewish. And you would think that they'd say, okay, I might, it doesn't matter if I'm a Democrat or Republican. This is wrong and you have my support. I'm very disappointed with people who have remained silent. Silence is complicity. There are a lot of people within Hollywood, within entertainment and media who are silent about this because they don't want to affect their numbers. They don't want to lose their audience. They don't want to lose the the, uh, demographic base that pays attention to them. And they're more concerned about business and appeasing people instead of doing what is right. And I think that's disappointing because we've seen these people speak up about Ukraine. We've seen them speak up about the women who were kidnapped by Boko Haram in northern Nigeria. We've seen them speak about about so many other issues about Afghanistan, right? But Afghanistan, they spoke about it only while it was cool, only while the hashtag was trending. Well, right now, the hashtag Free Palestine is very trendy. So we're getting people on social media posting about this while they know nothing. Now, when it comes to social media, we also have to remember that these are people who look at the cool trends. These are people who also tried to see if they could put a Tide Pod in their mouth or hold a teaspoon of cinnamon in their mouth. These are people who we should be listening to as experts. No, that's why your show is important. That's why people need to recognize who, who are they receiving the information from? Do they need to listen to Hollywood celebrities like Macklemore who spoke at a demonstration uh, about that was supporting Hamas and supporting Palestinian causes? In his own speech, he said three weeks ago, and this is a, a paraphrasing, he said that three weeks ago, he didn't know a lot. But he knew he wanted to learn more. And he did a lot of research in the three weeks, and now he knows what is right. That's who they have as a speaker? I think it's ridiculous. It's, it's nuts. Uh, number one, it's not easy. Like, if people want to come out and say what happened with George Floyd is wrong. You know, there's, there's issues that happen. You know, uh, people might say, oh, Katrina, I blame the government. You know, which side are you on here? Okay, it's obvious what went wrong. This takes studying. You can't just say all of a sudden one day you pick up the Palestinian cause. Come on, Yuval, where was anyone for the Palestinian cause during the Abraham Accords or anything else? I would have more respect if they were regularly demonstrating for this. I'd say, wow, that's interesting. They look at the Balfour Declaration. They look at the Oslo Accords. They look at what happened in the 1948 war in 67 and 73, and that's their conclusion. Let's debate it. I'm really shocked, but let's debate it. Do you think anybody knows any of this? How refreshing to even hear you address these things. I can't tell you how often I have conversations with people from my own LGBTQ, liberal, progressive, and Hollywood communities who know nothing. I can't tell you how thankful I am that you just mentioned facts. People need to know facts. They need to use the facts and then shape their opinions based on the facts. One of the problems is these people are trying to force facts to fit their opinions. That does not make sense. It doesn't. And you just mentioned you're a member of the uh, LGBTQ community. Did they, but did any gay person speaking up understand what how Hamas views gays? Did they, did they get oh to pick gosh. the building they throw them off of? It's ridiculous. I don't, the, the concept of this, we're seeing a lot of, uh, queers for Palestine, this 
this organization, or I guess they're not very organized, so I don't want to call them an organization, but a group of people calling themselves Queers for Palestine, who truly have been coming for me for years, accusing me of pinkwashing, and this is now a quote. Are you ready? Are you sitting down? They said, they years ago, uh, 2018, they accused me of being uh, obviously Zionist and openly Jewish. And they said that with vitriol. They said that as if it's something I should be embarrassed by. My first response was, well, thank you so much for seeing me. I guess my pronouns are he, him, his, and Jew Zionist. So fine, if those need to be my pronouns, absolutely. But how dare they use my identity as an accusation? And that's, it, it doesn't make sense for LGBTQ people to be against Jewish people. It doesn't make sense for LGBTQIA+, let's use all the letters, to be against Israel. If you are an LGBTQ activist, you must support the governments, the nations, the people who support LGBTQ rights. And you must be against the governments, the ruling parties, the terrorist organization, and the people who are against LGBTQ rights. It makes no sense. But here's a way that I kind of describe it. And I'm very upset with my own LGBTQ movement. I call it a movement more than a community because I don't feel like we're a community. So many of these factions, these anti-Israel, anti-Zionist, anti-Jewish factions within the LGBTQ movement represent these the problems of the liberal progressive world that are so these people who are so dug in ideologically that it would twist their minds to understand actual facts that should shape their opinions as opposed to forcing the facts to fit their opinions and they're relying on their self-centered narcissism which reveals bigotry built upon misdirected discomfort and low self-esteem it is not a victimhood competition don't force your own narrative into another situation in order to define that situation. And that's one of the problems we're seeing. People don't understand something, so they're using the language that fits other situations. This is not an issue about racism. This is not an issue about white supremacy. This is not a queer issue. This is a Middle Eastern issue that's been going on for a long time. And the pushback now among people in the Biden administration's own administration against him. They demand emergency meetings with him. By the way, I'd fire them on a spot. I'm the president. I hired you. Break of a lifetime. Get out. Number two. Uh, number two is there's people on the Democratic voting base and he's got an election coming up in a year. I worry about the president wavering to you. I absolutely do worry about the president wavering because they're worried about public opinion. They're worried about how people are going to vote. And when people who don't have a lot of information, who only read the headlines uh, of, of articles, if at all, they know that public opinion is going to affect how people vote for them. So if people are receiving information on social media, if people are seeing these pro-Hamas and pro-terrorism demonstrations, and they're saying, oh, we need to think that way. Well, the Biden administration is trying to make sure that they can still capture their, those voters and not lose them because they're worried that they might lose the election and that the Republicans might win the election. So as opposed to doing what is right, they're worried about the votes. We need leaders who do what is right. I hear you. Um, Yuval, David, thanks so much. Uh, keep fighting this fight and uh, understand you're doing the right thing. And it's up to these people to educate themselves. Uh, but hopefully people I, understand what side you're on. 
Uh, Yuval David, and, and, you know, congratulations one, on your career. One of, the that I, yeah, one of the things that I really try to do is to also utilize social media to spread messages that are right. So, At Yuval David, that's how to follow him. Now, the Brian Kilmeade Show joins Fox Business's Varney and Company with Stuart Varney, live on your radio and on Fox Business. Here's Brian Kilmeade. Everyone, welcome back. Uh, I was able to be on with Stuart this morning. Uh, I was able to be on with Stuart this morning talking about the economy. And it's odd, but we're going to be talking about other things as I join Stuart Varney, top-rated show on Fox Business. Hello, and Larry Cudlow, a runaway success. Maybe the uh, best, uh, number one in the country. Always love joining them on a weekly basis. And this week we're doing it on Tuesday. And then we'll be able to take some calls on the back end. So stick around um, because uh, we'll be able to get with you in just a moment. He usually leaves some time. So let's listen in. 10.51 precisely. Brian Kilmeade joins us. All right, Brian. Hillcrest High School, Queens, New York, under investigation. Students stormed the hallways, hunting down a Jewish teacher who attended a pro-Israel rally. Brian, why are so many black and Hispanic students supporting Hamas? I have no idea uh, why that is and how uneducated they are. Uh, I'm not just talking about disagreeing. It, to, to understand Hamas, the Palestinian, the Israeli situation, you have to, I don't know, pay attention, understand what happened with the Balfour Declaration, understand what happened in 1948, understand how the, the country of Israel came to be, understand the Palestinians walking away, the Oslo agreements, Yasser Arafat, the uh, Hamas winning an election. You have to understand things. You can't just look at it and say, I like the other guys. And most of these people blocking bridges, storming classrooms, uh, at uh, Cooper Union three weeks ago, a whole bunch of Jewish students holed up in a library of, of uh, trying to protect themselves against other students. And now we're seeing it again. I don't know what's in this curriculum, but I just think that there's some people fueling this. And it has to be organized because if you press these people on what they're standing up for, they will they will embarrass themselves because they think they feel as though they just see a bunch of people bombing Gaza as if. October 7th didn't exist, and it's just well, insane to me. What are we going to do about this? I mean, how on earth will we bring the schools in New York City and elsewhere in this country back together again? How are you going to do this? Well, I think, it, number one, I'm heartened to see Mayor Adams as outraged as you were. And it was his instant reaction. It wasn't, wait a day, he comes out and speaks about it, which he's done in the past. Well, light years better than de Blasio. Whatever you think of him, I appreciate that he, in fact, he, he stood up, spoke out, and... I don't think his, the NYPD is allowed to act quick enough to get these people out and make sure they stop ripping down posters and doing things they're doing of hostages. But I think it's time to get into the curriculum. And I just think in this city, if the mayor is serious and he is appointed education secretary is serious, they will start looking at the curriculum right away. It's their curriculum. It's nobody. Yeah. No one's ad libbing the curriculum. So just say, I want to find out where, where did you get this? What happened in World War II? What do you guys think happened in World War II? What does it say here? What are you studying? And I right. would like to see a press conference addressing the educational system. Others like Florida, like Texas, like Arizona, they got yeah. school choice. So they yeah. got to pull their kids out and put them here. Right. Good. Uh, one last one for you. Education Secretary Miguel Cardona tried to quote Reagan's famous line about government. Didn't go over well. Watch this. Um, as uh, I think it was President Reagan said, we're from the government. We're here to help. Um, there's, 
there are resources there, there's technical assistance there, and there's a playbook that could support the work you're doing. Count on us as a partner in this. Our students are waiting. And did he get it wrong? Reagan said government was dangerous. Cardona thinks it's just great. How do you explain this? You know? Yeah, I think if I, if I remember correctly, he said the eight words you, you, you hate to hear yes. most. I'm from the government and I'm here to help. Yeah. He totally missed it. I mean, for an edu I mean, it isn't like, well, I'm a Treasury secretary. I'm not an English major or whatever. I mean, a history major. This is recent history. And he totally yeah. does not understand what Reagan meant. No idea. No right. idea. You've got to deal with this one fast. Uh, less than 50 days to the Iowa caucuses. Trump continues to hold a big lead. The latest Real Clear Politics average puts Trump 30 points ahead of second place DeSantis. And by the way, Brian, the Koch brothers just endorsed Nikki Haley. And she is meeting with Ken Langone, I believe, today or later this, uh, th this week. What does that tell you? Well, the Koch brothers were out against Trump last time. It didn't work. Uh, Nikki Haley is a, is a really good candidate. I mean, she's got someone people got to look at. And the more they see her, the more they like her. But I'm looking at the polls. It's still 49-16 in her home state of South Carolina. He's over 50 percent of the national poll. He's got a substantial lead in New Hampshire. Uh, and DeSantis is going all in. On Iowa. So I think it's number one, formidable as heck. I think that Nikki Haley is trying the only way possible to, to damage Trump, and that is don't insult him directly because his supporters take it personal and you lose them and they'll yeah. never come to you. So he's yeah. saying Trump beats Biden. I beat him by more. Smart. Sorry, hard break coming up. Gotta go. Brian, thank you very much indeed. Go get him, Stuart. Still ahead. Missouri. All right. I think a lot of people in my life try to get me to stop talking. Allison does this a lot. But I just go, Brian, we're up against a heartbreak. I'm like, Allison, we're at an airport. I'm like, what do you what do you mean? So that's when people just want to stop talking to me. Eric has not tried that yet because Eric would never make that up because if he starts making up heartbreaks, then I start ignoring all of them. Well, no, it's more subtle that we do when you haven't realized it yet. We have our 30 second bumper music on our phones. We start playing it. So, you know, you need to rap within 30. That does help. It does. Because right. they're playing music in the background, you know, to stop talking. So, you know, one, one thing they tell you to do, so if you're a, a manager, not that I was ever a manager. So let's say I come in and I'm a worker and you're the manager. And you say, I come in to see you, but you want me to leave. So after five minutes, you get up, you grab it, and you walk towards the door. And that kind of gives a subtle indication. Thanks so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. You walk towards the door. But you walk out too. And then that person leaves. And you think, okay, they got to run. I saw them walk out. Then they go back in the office. Would that work with you? Has with, man managers done that to you? They have not done it to me. But I feel like with today's day and age, you could also be like, oh, I have a call in five minutes, right? And then, you know, everyone has a Zoom call now or whatnot. So that's, that's true, easier. a Zoom call. So, right. like, that's a good way to do it now. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people want to get out of conversations with me, I noticed. So I should study ways in which they works with, with me and then maybe write a book about that. That's your next book, Brian. Right. <laughs> how, to end a, how to end a conversation with me. Uh, that's certainly it. So listen, um, we're going to be going over. I just got real quick on Hunter Biden. He's going on the offensive. He is now telling James Comer, I will come by and I'll testify in front of the cameras, not behind closed doors. Comer's saying he's trying to manipulate the process. But you know who's getting upset that he's suing Johnny Mac Isaac of the of the of the uh, who's doing the computer repair. And he's going after William Barr and everything else and Donald Trump. This White House, they're saying, what are you doing? You're causing me uproar. You're not even trying to brief me on what you're up to. From high 
the top Fox News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here on this. Well, it's, you no longer can say, I don't want to hear Christmas music. You no longer can say, don't rush the holiday. We're done with Thanksgiving. It's a sprint. This hour, we're going to be joined by Bruce Blakeman, Nassau County Executive. Nassau County, this huge county uh, in New York. And they're taking on Hofstra University uh, and the president there. And uh, she's just uh, amazing uh, in a bad way. Uh, she says Hamas. She just want to take sides between Hamas and uh, Israel, number one. Number two is, which is ridiculous and insulting uh, and uh, uh, abhorrent. And the other thing is she was part of an administration that moved Thomas Jefferson's statue away from center campus because it insulted some people. We would have no country without Thomas Jefferson. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. You know, uh, from Turkey to air travel to tank of gas, the cost went down. In fact, as a share of earnings this Thanksgiving, dinner was the fourth cheapest ever on record. I want you all to know that. Wow. Uh, there you go. Uh, by the numbers, the economy may look good. And that might sound good to President Biden, who is squinting his way through another prompter reading. But poll after poll show the message is not translating to real life Americans. I'll explain. Number two. Donald Trump beats Biden by three to four points. I beat Biden by 10 to 13 points. Nikki Haley's playing it right, I think. Don't put down Trump. You work for him. You like him. You say he's your friend. But at the same time, say you're a better option in 2024. That's the hope. She uh, was hailed as a hero in front of thousands in South Carolina while picking up major endorsements. Now, does DeSantis, uh, as does DeSantis, getting the governor of Iowa. Donald Trump's lead, though, only increases. Meanwhile, he got a huge ovation at a South Carolina football game. Meanwhile, Joe Biden's base has gone from worry to panic mode as his numbers drop and he's shedding voters in the battleground states to all three leading Republicans, especially Nikki Haley. Number one. He has absolutely made it clear to the Emir of Qatar and obviously to Prime Minister Netanyahu how how strongly we want to see uh, the American hostages get released. We don't have perfect visibility on them and their condition, uh, but we're uh, we're working very, very hard. Israel at war and Hamas hostages are released. Uh, release is putting off, put off right now. It's kind of been a delay. But so far, there's been a pause in the fighting. A lot of human drama. We want everybody out. But is the best option for Israel make it a rescue operation or continue to deal prisoners for hostages? That's going to be key. And I want to discuss that, too. Uh, evidently, there was there was uh, some skirmishes in the north, and it looks as though some Israelis were hurt when they, they came upon an IED put there, obviously, by Hamas. I don't know if they were still blowing up tunnels or not, but there was evidently a firefight, too. I, this morning, witnessed the huge explosions and the, and the smoke coming up from northern Gaza. So it doesn't sound like much of a pause right now, but Hamas knows their days are numbered. They also know the minute they give up all the hostages, they're all dead. And I'm not talking about Palestinians. I'm not talking about innocent Palestinians. That will be collateral damage nobody wants. Nobody. But that's what Hamas intends to do. They would love to kill a lot more people. They get paid for kidnapping. So everybody that brought back a a woman, child, they took a nine-month-old. Let me ask them, are you comfortable taking down the poster of a hostage that's nine months old? By the way, his name is uh, Kafir Babas, uh, nine months old, kidnapped, along with his parents. 
and they believe that he is now no longer in the hands of Hamas. He's in another terror organization uh, somewhere in the southern city of Khan Yonis, who I understand is where the IDF is lining up to attack next. They're going to put all the hostages right in harm's way. That's their speed. Also, by saying that they don't have control of the hostages, that complicates the priceless even more. And the more they delay, the more it works to Hamas's advantage. And they know that. So the extension will allow for the release of 20 more Israel hostages, supposed to be today, 10 today and 10 tomorrow. As far as I know, they have not been given up. Yesterday, nine children, two women, are now under the care of the Tel Aviv Ishilan Hospital, where they're reuniting with their families. 51 have been let's go so far. We believe there's about 250, roughly, uh, still being held. Only one American has gotten out, which is just a four-year-old, Abigail. Meanwhile, the U.S. Navy says the Houthis rebels fired two ballistic missiles, not at them, but towards an Israeli-linked ship. Yesterday, they were saved by the U.S., who answered a distress call after a uh, hijacking on the open seas. By the way, China had vessels in the area, did nothing. The U.S. came over and helped out. What about these protests? Two women arrested in New York City on, uh, uh, after an attack on a Jewish victim who confronted them for tearing down hostage posters. This, according to a cop, this Mirwish Omar surrendered to police on Monday morning was charged with assault and criminal mischief, both as hate crimes in connection with the attack of a 41-year-old woman at the corner of Riverside and 82nd Street just before 10 o'clock last weekend. Uh, they, uh, her accomplice is uh, Stephanie Gonzalez. She was cuffed a week earlier and also faces hate crimes, assault, rap, as well as attempted robbery. Imagine that. So you put up a poster of people that are missing just so people can think of them and understand their real faces, and then people walking around ripping them down. Absolutely sickening. Also, there's a Congressman David Valadado's office. It was vandalized by anti-Israeli protesters. If you got to see this, uh, the morning, uh, the uh, Monday morning, they wrote down "murdered by Israel," a whole bunch of other vile phrases. That's happening in California, where we understand somebody else lost their lives when they were hit in the head with a bullhorn and fell and died. But there's no hate crime investigation there. I can tell you right now why he got hit with a bullhorn. Pretty much a hate crime, don't you think? And meanwhile, Sonny Houston took a shot on The View for people being too pro-Israel and not caring enough about the Palestinian prisoners. Believe me, I'm not saying our judicial uh, system is perfect. Every once in a while, someone goes through a trial and they're convicted unjustly, and hopefully they get out right away. But Sonny Houston actually believes that people are imprisoned in, uh, in Israel just because they were Palestinian. Cut eight. I think what's really important is what happens after this pause, because a ceasefire apparently is a bad word now. So what happens after this humanitarian pause? Who is in charge? Who isn't in charge? Are we going to continue seeing this devastation in, in, in Gaza? Are we going to continue seeing these three Palestinian kids going college kids? One who knows my son's friend. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, when is that going to stop? When are we going to really meet at the table and understand that all lives in this situation are being affected yeah. and we must have a two-state solution? Yeah. But can I say we one must thing? Have that. I- you can't have a two-state solution when the people living next to you rocket you every day. You go do it. If Mexico was rocketing us every day and they wanted Texas back, you say, okay, split it. No, I'm not going to split it to get them closer to us, to hit deeper into our country. And they don't deserve it. That's not theirs. 
Palestinians gave up their strip. They took it back. There was a it was a multi-front war in 48 and 67 and 73. Uh, thousands died on all sides. And Israel prevailed. They took buffer zones, Golan Heights, Sinai Peninsula, Gaza Strip. So in case there was invasion, they'd have a little bit of a runway before they were attacked. People were breathing down their necks. They gave back the Sinai Peninsula. They held on to Gaza. They didn't want it. Ariel Sharon gave it to the Palestinians. I was on the air. They had to rip the Israeli settlers out of Gaza by with cops came in and just tore them out of homes that they had built. And believe me, it was agonizing for them. They had moved into Gaza. But when the Palestinians got it, they had an election. Election, they, whether they were threatened or not, they chose Hamas. Right away, negotiations stopped because Hamas says, I don't want a two-state solution. I want to kill everybody. You could say two-state solution all you want, but it's not going to be with this Palestinian authority where this Abu Mazen, uh, Mahmoud Abbas, he's got two ridiculous names, and he is as corrupt as the day is long. He's worth something like 50, uh, $32 million, got his own private plane, while his people starve in Ramallah. You could say there's two-state solutions all you want. Nobody wants it on the other side, and Israel would never sign off on it. And that's what we were talking about with Kahana yesterday. What an insult. Listen, I don't want to take too much time, but I want to just uh, bring up something on the economy because I've, uh, I said I was going to discuss it. So when you see the jobless claims are below threshold, when you see unemployment so low, GDP was decent over the weekend, you see this huge deficit. I understand it. But you say, why don't consumers like Bidenomics? Why? Because interest rates have raised because of money that you spent and a rescue package we didn't need. It devalued the dollar. And now inflation rising, the only way to stop at the Fed, it seems, is to raise interest rates, which means when everyone has a credit card, they look at the balance and say, oh, my goodness, I can't pay this off. They look at restaurants and say, I'm being charged 25% more, according to Bloomberg. I look at my natural gas bill, 25% more, according to Bloomberg. Uh, I'm looking at most utilities, gas, money, the, uh, the gas tanks. Everything's more. So that's why people are down about Bidenomics. And the only reason that gas is somewhat palatable and livable right now is because Saudi Arabia did not cut production like they said they would. Normally, we'd be in charge of that. So uh, I'll take a break. I want to get your take on that and how the economy is for you. But Bruce Blakeman is standing up strong uh, for the Jewish community and for Israel. And also notice that some people aren't, like the college campuses. How about college presidents? He's asking for a massive resignation. Let's see if they listen. Bruce Blakeman next. Coming to you on a need-to-know basis, because, man, do you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. So uh, Nassau County Executive Bruce Blakeman... Uh, is calling for the resignation of the president of Hofstra University. And I'm sure most of you around the country have heard of Hofstra, certainly uh, local listeners, WABC. Uh, and it's a Division One school. You know, normally was known for its football. Then it opened up a law school and made that choice. Pretty prestigious in the area. But they have gone so far left. This is the latest example. Uh, the uh, the business law school recently fired off a letter um, just say there basically is this. Their president can't make a choice, can't make up their mind. Who should she support, Hamas or the Israelis? So 
her name, uh, the president is Susan Poser. She issued a callous, according to Bruce Blakeman, an unconscionable statement on the Israeli Hamas war to the college's community last month. She had written that she wanted to acknowledge the uh, the emails and comments that I and other administrations have received since Hamas attack. Quote, the event that Israel's uh, that event, Israel's response and the ongoing conflict are taking the lives of thousands of people with no end in sight. We mourn the loss of life in Israel and Gaza, which has deeply affected many members of the community. This is a complex history and conflicting views about the casual underpinnings of the current crisis. This is one of the reasons that lasting peace in the part of the world has been so elusive and contested. Uh, Bruce Blakeman, you find that that statement is offensive. Why? I think it's despicable. Basically, what Susan Poser is doing is drawing a moral equivalency between a political territorial dispute and baby killing, beheading babies, putting babies in ovens, uh, raping women in front of their families, kidnapping children. Uh, What she is basically saying is those are acceptable things to do uh, to advance a political agenda. And for the head of a prestigious university uh, to make those kind of statements without any backlash uh, would be unconscionable on my part. Uh, We have a county here that respects human life, we respect the rule of law, and we respect American values. And this is a war that Israel has against evil. They are a terrorist, evil organization that should be destroyed, and there should be no conditions, and there should be no equivocation, especially from someone who is charged with educating our young people. This was, uh, you right. this was not a time for fence-sitting and hand-wringing. Uh, Dr. Poser should have been clear and strong in the condemnation of Hamas without equivocation. So that statement is something that really resonates with you because, Bruce, you used to be a professor at that law school, right? I was an adjunct professor. I taught business law there. And uh, my father and my uncle attended Hofstra University when they returned from World War II. Uh, I attend regularly sporting events there. I've been a fan of their basketball team. I've been a fan of their lacrosse teams, and uh, I I believe that Hofstra can be, again, a great university, but not not with this type of leadership. And I might might add that Hofstra has been on a a downward slide for the last couple of years, and I think that they need new leadership, and hopefully the board of trustees will come to their senses Mm -hmm. and realize that this is not the direction that they should be taking Hofstra University. You know, Nassau County is larger than 10 states. And we have a very sophisticated population, and we have a very um, reasonable population when it comes to politics. Most people are somewhere in the middle. Some people are a little to the right, like me. Some people are right in the middle. Some are a little to the left. Uh, But we we don't like extremism here in Nassau County. And uh, basically, Susan Poser is advocating uh, and endorsing extremism, and, and that's not tolerable. Did you try to get her on the phone? Uh, No, I didn't. I wrote a letter uh, and I expected I wrote a letter to the Board of Trustees and I expected uh, a letter from the Board of Trustees that would have been uh, somewhat remorseful for her comments. And instead, uh, the chairman, Donald Schaefer, he doubled down. Now, I've heard from trustees from Hofstra that are very unhappy about this. I've heard from distinguished uh, members of the alumni and I've heard from parents who have students going there. They are very unhappy. Uh, I got a very irate 
um, email yesterday from a woman who was an alum at Hofstra, and she said that she's never going to give another nickel mm-hmm. to Hofstra University so long as Susan Poser is the president. All right, so Bruce, you really have you have no power over them. They're a private university, right? That's correct. I do not have any power, but I'm I'm going to use the bully pulpit to talk about what's good and what is mm-hmm. evil, and uh, those who condone evil behavior, I'm going to call them out. So, Bruce, what's pretty amazing is, you know, we've seen a lot of donors uh, to these Ivy League schools speak out, not the presidents take the lead, but it seems like most people agree with the squad. Uh, they, they, they're they screaming for Palestine, which doesn't exist. They're screaming for Hamas. If they're not screaming for it, they're whispering it as if that Hamas organization is anything but contemptible. So how do you feel about that? In many ways, are you surprised that there's this they're shutting down the Manhattan Bridge. They're shutting down Fifth Avenue with these protests. And this is the next generation of Americans. Yes, but so many of them are professionals. They're funded by anti-American groups. Uh, they're funded by foreign countries. Uh, don't anybody out there be deluded and think that these are just students. Yes, you have some dopey students uh, who couldn't find their rear end with both hands, but uh, the fact of the matter is that we know uh, that many of these people are professional right. antagonists. They're funded by foreign countries. They're funded right. by anti-American groups. And those are the ones that are protesting. They don't have jobs other than to do this. So uh, the, the problem in our universities is the fact that 95 percent of the professors in our universities are left wingers and many of them are anti-American and they're trying to indoctrinate into our children uh, values that aren't consistent with American values. And uh, to that, I think we we finally are starting to wake up to that. Nassau County Executive Bruce Blakeman, this is also the school that moved Thomas Jefferson's statue because some some underclassmen were offended. So you know where Hofstra's heading. What an embarrassment. Bruce, I'm so glad you're standing up and speaking out. Appreciate it. Thanks so much, Brian. Keep fighting. You got it. Uh, We come back. Uh, My interview with Congressman Kevin McCarthy, former Speaker of the House. Man, we talk about everything. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Go to briankilmeade.com. Find out where to see me tomorrow in New Jersey and over the weekend in Texas. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. So yesterday I had a chance to sit down with the former Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy. We have so much to talk about. He's still so very active in all these issues, and all that ousting is still fresh in his mind. So he gave me some quality time. You can hear the whole interview on my podcast, Brian Kilmeade Show podcast. You can listen in. But for now, here is my interview, a portion of my interview with Kevin McCarthy. Let's listen. I watched your speech about foreign policy, and it just makes me think that if uh, any Republican wins, it'd be crazy not to tap you for secretary of state or some type of policy position in in the uh, White House. Be nuts to not to. Not only do you know what you're doing, but you know how to navigate Congress. It's a skill set that almost nobody has. Number two, 
It doesn't matter how good a legislator you are, what kind of leader you are. If you can't work Congress, you're not going to get anything done. The big thing now is a package to fund Ukraine, fund Taiwan, fund Israel, and the Republicans coming back and saying, add in the border. Schumer says, I got to get this done before vacation. You have Mike Turner come out and say, it's not going to get done before vacation. You better include the border. Give me the play-by-play of this. Well, th- this was some of the discussion ahead of time, too, because remember, all this happened with the speaker's race a few days before Israel got invaded by the terrorist Hamas. Look, what I see happening around the world, it looks a lot like the 1930s. And my biggest concern is in the 30s, you had Italy, Germany, and Japan building together the axis of evil. You have the same thing now with China, Russia, and Iran, and North Korea. And what what we need to find is make sure we can do the job. I remember having this discussion with then Vice President Biden about selling weapons to Ukraine so Russia would never invade. I remember talking to President Biden when I was before they invaded Ukraine and telling him sanctions won't work. Those people Putin, used to suffer. Yeah, Putin has lived under sanctions, still the wealthy man, but this appeasement won't work and his policies are hurting. So I spent a lot of time being being part of the Gang of Eight, but traveling the world, talking to leaders. Look, when Israel celebrated their 75th anniversary of the creation, they invited me to be the speaker of the Knesset. I I love the opportunity to go seeing the King of Jordan, going down to Egypt, seeing a CC. And you know know what a CC said to me when we walked in with the delegation? He goes, I watched all 15 rounds of your vote for speaker. I love that you never gave up, right? What's unique here is America matters. The president of Egypt is watching what happens to the speaker, right? So it matters about how we go about this. We need to make sure that we don't have World War III. We need to learn from the mistakes in World War II of appeasement and this idea we can walk and chew gum at the same time. But we can do the border. Can you do and the, we can do Ukraine. And we can You can do use leverage on the border. I don't think because yes. Democrats need – actually the best thing for Democrats, you're not going to like it, is to change the asylum policy and start securing the border and building that wall. The you num- would actually help them in 2024. The, if if you just want to play politics, you wouldn't do anything on the border. You just argue about it, yeah. and you'd cream the Democrats. The the biggest gap that the Democrats have on any policy, they're losing all the different policies in any polling, is is immigration. Deal so you know that Speaker time. Johnson's going to stand up and go, "Yeah, we got, I heard him say it. Uh, I think Ukraine's important." Yes. You realize most of the Republican Party, at least publicly, like Senator Josh Hawley, and I'm not saying uh, they don't believe they don't have a right to believe what they believe, but they're they are against. Funding Ukraine. And so Johnson's going to get huge pushback from Chip Roy and company about funding Ukraine. So if if you bundle it together. If you become speaker, you you can't sit and worry if someone's going to throw you out or not. You've got to just do what's right. And I'll go down in history. Maybe I got removed, but I did what was right. History will prove that. And this is the thing I think, too, is part of the reasons why Republicans are opposing Ukraine, they think we're just giving money to Ukraine. What they don't quite understand is we're providing them weapons out of our stockpile, and we're using our money to build new weapons. So what we're giving them is the iPhone 5, why we go build a new iPhone 4. Or are they making it simple for their district? Do they really know what you know, and they're just saying things for the camera, and they think they're polling in their district – and they're pulling their district says we're done with Ukraine. Well, it's a, it's that, a, that's really what's happening. But no, but, but but you also have to explain to America. People are frustrated. What's happening on the border should not happen, and we shouldn't have to leverage something for the other. But you know what? This is politics. We're going to we'll it, do it, and it's the right thing to do. It is. We're but, going to secure so, our border. So you think you get this done before Christmas or not? I don't know that it gets done before Christmas because I haven't seen the Senate move anything. And I've told the White House early on they shouldn't just send us before they sent that supplemental to us in the back, which meaning the funding for Ukraine. I called them up and I said, "You've never spoken." 
to me. Don't send me a supplemental what you think you need. Sit down with us. I've got a number of veterans, Navy SEALs and others, who fought in the region. They get it. And they get it. Why don't we sit down so we know exactly what we need and we have input? That is a better way to going about doing it because you don't want to send any waste. You want to to stream through it, see what is needed. And the other thing I told the White House, too, is I'm not interested in just sending money to Ukraine. I want to know what's the plan to win. You don't sit out and go into a battle and hope you win. You 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 put criteria down and you measure yourself. And you What's know victory? they can't win without an air force. Yes. And we're taking our time training people. And you know that we they can't win without attackums. Everything it looks like. Biden has done has been slow and, and carried this war on. And the other thing too is they sat there and they, they slowed the war and then they built up all for the summer, but they allowed Russia to have a defense. I mean it's just and that like was my, little Ukraine's problem. It's like too. my the discussion with him, what he did in Afghanistan of how he pulled us out created Ukraine, because that's what Putin saw. And when he went to meet with Putin, it was just like Neville Chamberlain, peace for our time. He lifted the sanctions Biden did off Nord Stream 2, but asked nothing in return. But what he did in Afghanistan by creating those 13 new Gold Star families, by just pulling out, not listening to the military, that has harmed us probably for the next two decades around the world. People are turning towards China because of that. In the so on this foreign policy, right now everybody wants those um, children – and senior citizens out of Hamas-run territory. But there's a huge push to pull back and push for a ceasefire when it comes to Israel. How does Israel get back to hammering Hamas like they need to? And could they have been uh, more precise and lessen the number of casualties that not related to the terror network? Look, I, I think that's very, very difficult to do. And I know everyone's going to try to sit here and judge. But when you have a terrorist organization like Hamas that builds tunnels under a hospital, that uses children as a shield and lies to them. I mean, what, what, what Hamas has done to the Palestinians is horrendous. They should want to get rid of it. Hamas is a terrorist organization that are killing Palestinians by, by putting them in, the, right. in this place. And what what they did on October 7th, I mean, that, that, is, that is our Pearl Harbor, that, that is um, September 11th, that is everything in combined. You have to destroy. But the reason— but it's going to be hard to get back to destroying because okay. and, and I'm, all, I'm for it. you got to wipe them out. But do we have to go World War II style wipe it out, yeah, where look, we just carpet bomb Berlin? No, you, you want to be more—you want, you want to be able to have precision, but think of it. I've been to Israel many times. I've watched what transpired. That kibbutz, I was in just the February before. I see the soccer fields right by there. But but what, what transpired, have you seen the 42-minute tape that is created? I have not yet. I, I think everyone that can stomach it should see it because it is uh, the body cameras from Hamas. It is their phone calls of what they're saying. They're posting. They, yeah. They're not fighting the military. They're in slaughtering innocent children. And they're chopping heads off, and they're celebrating. They're calling home to their mother. I did it with my own hands. I killed right. ten. These are people who are unarmed, who are asleep. It's horrendous what has transpired. So Hamas harms everybody in the world. But when you really think about this, who funds them, and why are they even there? Do you know in the in the International Monetary Exchange when um, Biden took over, Iran only had four billion dollars. They they have seventy today. It's because they're able to sell the oil. We have sanctions against. Iranian oil, they don't enforce it. So they we went from 400,000 barrels a day to 3 it's million. Nuts. Houthi They're rebels, Hamas, Hezbollah have one thing in common. Iran. Iran. And so until we, until we address that and this administration, everyone can make mistakes. But for them to do what eight years of Barack Obama did, they come back and they say, Iran, we're going to welcome you into the family of nations. And their answer is we're going to create havoc with the money you're allowing us to make. From the first day. 
They didn't lean in to the Abraham Accords. They went after Saudi Arabia. They embraced Iran. So what they told and the Houthi rebels, yeah, they took and them they off the told terrorists. our friends, no, we're going to punish you, and we're going to appease somebody else. Right? They've created this mess and this climate that we are sitting in. I the just world want to today. get you to know what the Democrats are saying. If we can, Eric, uh, cut number twelve, Ro Kahana. This is what he said: We should go to a ceasefire. Their military capability has been diminished with the bombing in northern Gaza. But their political support, and sometimes actually increases every time you have images of children and women killed. That's why there has to be a diplomatic solution. Until there is an independent Palestinian state, uh, there is not going to be peace or security in that region. And America needs to show leadership. I believe our Gulf allies will help us if we bring the diverse Palestinian voices to the table. There needs to be one condition. Any Palestinian voice at that table needs to recognize the state of Israel, and then we need to work towards an independent Palestinian well, what planet, state. What planet is he on? He's too smart for this. Can you name, and if there was one, I'd love to see it, uh, a Palestinian official that says, listen, sorry about Hamas, work with me. Hamas took over Gaza. Gaza was some of the most beautiful land. Right. They had the most beautiful nurseries. They're sitting right on the ocean. They, they could be the most productive. But he doesn't but want Hamas started. in the meetings. He says, I'll have other people. Is, that, is there anything practical about what he said? No. I mean, and he, he, he sounds to me an appeasement in the process. I don't think it's America that can dictate in here. What has to happen is Hamas has to be destroyed. Hamas, it's not good for anybody in the world. And the other thing, too, is we can't dictate inside Israel. They, to get to a negotiation table... I think they've got to be able to carry out the mission that they are. They send the leaflets out. They're trying to provide um, in the safest manner possible. But they also, they were attacked. All right. That's just part one of my conversation with Speaker McCarthy. When we come back, what would happen if Joe Biden gets four more years? Don't move. You're with Brian Kilmeade. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back, everybody. A fascinating conversation on and off mic with Kevin McCarthy. And we have the whole podcast on Brian Kilmeade Show podcast. I want you to listen to it. But here's more of the interview that you're hearing for the first time. It's released on our show. Me and the former speaker. Does it worry you that President Trump, who is winning in all the polls and beating Joe Biden head to head, does not have the same Ukraine vision and does not have the same concern about Taiwan as a guy like you do? Look, I, I think from the perspective, the president, he was right about the Abraham Accords. He, he, he's been right about NATO not paying their fair share in the process. There was no war during that time. I think he engaged. I watched him engaging North Korea. They weren't testing missiles at that time, too. The world was a different place. Do you think he, he's somebody who listens? It's like, for example, he's going to pull everyone out of Syria. And then at the last minute, he said, I'm going to leave it. And there's still 900. Look, I watched you. Anytime somebody comes in as president, they get judged. And they were testing him in Syria. And I remember him sitting down with Xi at Mar-a-Lago, passing dessert and said, oh, by the way, I got 53 cruise missiles going right then. He knows how to use that diplomacy at the right time. And he's willing to listen to his military. Something that we watched Biden did not do in Afghanistan. So in other words, he's not going to agree with He had Mike Pompeo as his secretary of state. I served with Mike. Mike graduated from the... West Point, number one in his uh, in his class. This guy knew what he was doing around the world, too. What are the stakes if a Republican doesn't win and Joe Biden gets four more years? Uh, well, I'm, I'm very concerned just about uh, what would transpire because if Biden won, I mean, when Biden won when I was leader, but it's the first time since 1994, not one Republican incumbent lost in the House. We were supposed to lose 15 seats. We actually beat 15 Democrats. Uh, Biden is the weakest of any president running for reelection in modern history. 
Um, I think we'd have a very big night that night. But if we were to lose, think about what happened when we just lost and we only won the house back in four years. The inflation, the runaway spending. Right. You think they came after conservatives on the Internet today. We didn't have AI like we have today. They would transform. We didn't have uh, Elon willing to stand up and buy Twitter. I mean, they systematically would come after much of our freedoms. Think about what we went through during the pandemic, kicking people out of the military, telling people what they can and cannot do. And this is an... I would never know because I'm never going to have one-on-one. When you sat and he met you, if you named speaker, he said, I want to go meet him. I don't really know Kevin McCarthy too well. And he, you came over and met. When the doors closed and a handful of aides are there, did you think you were talking to somebody that was that was that that had enough to be president of the United States? Look, I, You're I, not I, a doctor. I, but did you I, think to yourself I'm not a he's doctor, not and, and I've known Joe Biden for a number of years when he's vice president. He's an older man. He's not the same man that he, that he was before. I look and I just I looked in the nineteen sixties. We made we made a conscious decision as Americans that we started electing our leaders that were in their forties and fifties. And if America Kennedy ran on that. Yeah. And if America's gonna be the shareholders of this country and say who should run it, we need someone that doesn't put a lid on it. We need someone that can go out and talk to us every day and answer. You know, when I went through the battle of doing the debt ceiling. I thought I was at a disadvantage. I had to get a group of members with a four-seat majority to vote for a debt ceiling. Who I had 20 who had never, ever voted for one and not even the new one. No one thought this was possible, so he would just ignore me. And every day I'd go to the mic. But I learned if you went to the American public, it would be different, right? right. And then once we passed something, it was a different scenario. Um, he's not the same Joe he was 50 years ago. And th- th- this is a problem I have. Well, he's people been- say Trump is not the same Trump he was. Uh, I have not noticed a difference, but I haven't talked for a great period of time. I'll talk to him for 15, 20 minutes at a time. Do you think Trump at 77 is the same one as at 72? The only thing I know about Trump is this is a guy that's never needed sleep in his life. I've never seen somebody with a stronger work ethic. Uh, I've known him for a long time. He, he is far more agile and everything else is going on compared to where Biden is today. And I, I'm, I'm no doctor in that perspective, but I, I would just You say, don't worry about him getting the job for four more years? No, no, not at all. Okay. Um, I know you have to run. Mr. Speaker, great to see you. Uh, great to see you. And, hey, I just want to tell you, you're the hardest working person that I know. You do a morning show. You do the radio. You do a Saturday show. Mm-hmm. And you always come off positive. The one thing I want to tell the American public, and for everyone who's listening, you know, uh, I grew up in a family of Democrats, but I've always been a Republican. And then there's a reason of things that driven me. If you ever come in my office, you see Lincoln, you see Reagan, um, you see Teddy Roosevelt. And if Lincoln was still here today, he would tell our nation to believe in the exceptionalism of this country, conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that we are all equal. There's no other country in the world like that. But when you think about it, and people will come up to me, they came up to me and play, oh, I feel so sorry what happened. I said, don't feel sorry for me. I was speaker. I got to be speaker. Yeah. I said, but if you look at Lincoln, he loses his first race for the state house. He fails in business. At 26, his girlfriend dies. At 27, he has a nervous breakdown. He loses a race for speaker, which I admire the most. He becomes a congressman for one term. He fails in business again. He loses a race for Senate. He loses the race to become vice president. He loses for Senate again. Then he gets elected president. He gets elected president November 1860. He gets sworn in March 1861. Seven states leave the union out of the 26th. Never once did he blame Buchanan for his job problem. He took a team of rivals, people who didn't support him, and put him in because they had experience. He built the Intercontinental Railway while he was trying to keep a country together. He... 
he, if you ever watched the movie Lincoln, and I showed it inside Congress, right? And so the idea here is he had to pass the 13th Amendment before the war ended because the idea that he had to build America, and he knew in the Gettysburg Address where he says this at the end, he says, but if we fail, government of the people, by the people, for the people, shall not perish from earth. We're not the world power, but he understood America is more than a country. America is an idea, and it's more powerful than the world power because it's governed by the people, for the people, of the people. And so the challenge here is, even in down times, and this is what you come across to me, you're a happy conservative. And if Reagan was here, Reagan would tell you if you're a Democrat, Republican, Green Party, if you believe in your philosophy that it brings people more freedom, be happy, don't be angry. It, if you're being angry, it doesn't prove that you're more conservative. It doesn't prove that you're more liberal. It proves that you don't really believe in your own philosophy and principles. Yeah, well, thank you. And I will say that I'd be much happy working with a Bill Moore, who's a liberal guy, yeah. but, under, but loves the country. Yes. And disagrees and he'll fight you every step of the way. I worry about there's a lot of people in Congress and they're sitting down on Manhattan Bridge blocking in on Sunday that don't love the country. Yes. And I don't really remember a time. That's somehow either we got to say fix the next generation and just give up on this one or let them know. Yes. That they hit lotto by being born here, and every day they have a chance to play in the Super Bowl. But there's some that weren't born here, that this country, she opened her arms and brought you in like nobody else. Yeah. And you're one of less than 13,000 to ever have the privilege of being a member of Congress. Why do you hate a country that would do that for you? I don't get it. But what a perfect way to end. You should be a talk show host. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, I got more time on my hands. (laughs) A little bit for now. For now. Uh, Speaker McCarthy, great to see you. Thanks so much. Listen to the all-new Brett Bear podcast featuring Common Ground, in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Bear favorites like his all-star panel and much more. Available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.